Who's ready to look into the Word of God today? Our next sermon, all right, on pillars. Remember we started pillars last week? Pillars. Today we're going to look at our second pillar. Um, Josh, could you give me that cup of water, please? Our second pillar of our Christian faith. Thank you. And what I mean by that, by pillars, is not doctrinal pillars. I was talking to a pastor about this series, and he goes, oh, I thought you would have meant the, like you would do the, the fundamental truths of your, of your organization. I said, no. What we're talking about is people in church history that God has used mightily in the past upon which Christianity as we know it exists. We want to learn from them, and we want to follow their example. You know, the Apostle Paul said to people, follow me as I follow the Lord. And so we want to do the same thing. We want to look at people who have followed the Lord well, and they've been they're really super influential in our church history, and say, what can we learn about how we walk after God, and what can we learn about our understanding of Christ and the church and what it means to be a Christian by looking at these influential people. And last week, we looked at an Old Testament pillar. Remember, we're doing an Old Testament pillar, an ancient church pillar, a New Testament pillar, and then a more recent a more recent history church pillar. Um, and so last week, who do we look at? Anybody remember? Jeremiah, was, what was he not? He was not a bullfrog. He was not a friend of mine. You guys passed that quiz last week, but he was an, a prophet of God. And so last week, we looked at Jeremiah. I was going to do a quiz this week, but I thought it'd be kind of corny to do more than one. Um, so we looked at it, but I'm going to describe another pillar. This is from ancient church history, not a biblical character. And I want you to think if you can understand or figure out who this is. So we're going to look for a person from kind of ancient church history. Now, it is said that, um, that what we in the Western world, do you understand when I say Western world, what I mean is we are Western thinking. I mean, we come from, from Greek and Roman history thinking. So European and then America, North America, we are Western thinking. A lot of the rest of the world, like Eastern thinking, thinks differently than we do. Their churches are different. The Eastern Orthodox Church, wonderful Christian church, is much different than our church. It, it celebrates differently. And so we are the, the Western world. And it is said that in the Western world, that our understanding about Christianity has been shaped more by this man than anyone except for Jesus and the Apostle Paul. He lived six, over 1,600 years ago. So Jesus was 2,000 years ago. He lived 1,600 years ago, four, 400 years after Jesus. He lived from 354 until 430 as he was a scholar and a brilliant orator that is known, this is what one of these is really known for, he defeated multiple heresies that could have done great harm to Christianity. So set Christianity on a firm path this is maybe one of the things you're not what I'm going to say. You're going to say, oh, I know what you're talking about. He became known as the bishop of the city of Hippo, which is in North Africa. It, you say, where is that? It's not Hippopotamus. The city of Hippo in North Africa, which was an influential city in the Roman Empire. And his writings, most famous of which would be called Confessions and the City of God, still help form our understanding of Scripture and God today. That in 1986, just a little while ago, Time Magazine wrote an article about him and said that in each, so they said, in each of the 16 centuries since his conversion, he has continued to exert a major cultural, intellectual, spiritual force upon the world. So does anybody know who I'm referring to? Augustine. 
Augustine of Hippo, St. Augustine, all referring to the same man, Augustine. People ever heard of Augustine? Some of you maybe never have. Augustine. Do you know that you li- if you live in Sockville, or you live in West Bend, or you live in Colgate, or you live in Hubertus, or you live in Milwaukee, or you live in Hartford, you can live on St. Augustine Street. Streets that 1,600 years later, whether you knew it or not, were named after Augustine of Hippo. Do you know what the first European established city in America is? St. Augustine, Florida. Pete and Doris Fisher, if you're watching this morning, which they watch us online, living in Florida, you live, you know St. Augustine, they live just north of St. Augustine. And I'll tell you something, Pete and Doris, if you're watching, for the rest of us here, you have it better than us right now because this morning it was 39 degrees here. And in St. Augustine, it's much warmer. Now in August, you don't want to be in St. Augustine. (laughs) But it's a beautiful town. Anybody ever been to St. Augustine? It is a beautiful, old, the oldest. You know what's one of the coolest things about St. Augustine? It has the oldest known tree in America, and I've seen it. It's over 600 years old, and it's kind of right by a hotel. It's kind of, you know, but it's, it's this massive old oak tree. And, and Augustine is right in the area where the first settlers came in and established a city there. And that's the oldest city in America. And it, what would they name the oldest city? The first time they said, we're going to build, we're going to establish a community in what they thought was the new world, they named it after Augustine, after Augustine of Hippo. So what's the point? Whether we know it or not, Augustine has had a tremendous influence on how each of us understands God. And this is what we're going to try to show you today, how each of us understands Scripture. That his influence 1,600 years ago has shaped in the Western world how we understand God and Scripture. And I thought, how can I explain Augustine? And so what we're going to do today is to look at some of his most famous quotes and see what they tell us about God, what they tell us about ourselves, and notice how they shape our thinking. Because a lot of times when he said these things, and it is this way of thinking, he was kind of the first one who thought, or at least wrote it down, and he defended. He was called the doctor of the church, not medical doctor, a, the doctor, meaning he was a doctorate who, who was the defender of the faith. He was the educated man who shaped um, the idea of what it meant to be a Christian. And he wrote it down, and we literally still, especially in the area of education, the church is still, or the world is still completely, the Western world, formed by how Augustine taught about how do we teach the Word of God and how do we teach about the world. So ready, we're going to look at four quotes today that Augustine said. You're going to see how these shape how you understand what it is to be a child of God and how, what does it say about how I live for God. So the first quote is this, and it'll be up on the screens, that God loves each of us as if there were only one of us. That God loves each of us as if there were only one of us. Now, what was Augustine saying? This is what he's saying in a nutshell, is that you matter as an individual. That each and every person is equally important in the eyes of God. Now, do you understand that when Augustine wrote that, that that was a completely radical idea? That Augustine was part, understand, so he's a history, 
Augustine was part of the upper crust of society in his time. And um, he was not wealthy compared to some of the other people in the upper crust, but he was in the upper crust of society. So that enabled him to get an education, which is where he was then noticed as being brilliant, and people sponsored him then to continue to go on to school. So he continued to learn, continued to grow, became a doctor, became a, a debater, a teacher of rhetoric in, in, in universities, and he advanced in his career. And he was of that upper crust of people. And, and he was in that small group, but most people were what we'll call for today just nobodies, the serfs. They were nobodies. They existed simply, the, the vast majority of humanity in his day existed simply for the benefit of the rich and the upper class. They, everybody, every, this mass of people all existed to be tools to, to accomplish and build and fund everything for this upper class of people. As a matter of fact, it's how much of the world still exists today. But Augustine saw things differently. He understood what the scriptures, the New Testament, were trying to teach humanity 400 years earlier, but humanity still hadn't really got a grasp on it. He, got, he understood that when scriptures say um, in Romans that there is no partiality with God, that when Paul wrote that, he's like, wait a minute, God doesn't see upper crust and all the rabble. God doesn't distinguish them like that. He saw, wait a minute, we're all equal before God. He understood it. It's what Jesus' half-brother James was trying to get people to understand when he talked about when you come into a church. In the book of James, he said, what wrote about James said this. You come into a church, two people come in, and one is very rich and one is very poor. And he said, and if you treat the rich man well and say, Hulk, here, come sit in the place of honor right here. And you say to the poor man, you go over there and sit on the floor in the corner. He said, you have sinned. He's saying all people matter to God, but the, the world didn't get it. Augustine understood it. Augustine understood that it was Jesus, that Jesus revealed this idea that all people mattered when he stopped in the middle of a day at a well and he interacted with a Samaritan woman who had had five husbands and now she's living with a guy and everybody in the society said she was the worst of the worst, the bottom of society. Matter of fact, she went to the well when the other ladies didn't because the other, even other ladies who were drawing water wouldn't be seen with her. And Jesus stops and he spends the time with her and he offers her living water. He offers her eternal life. Even though she was in a society at the bottom of society, a nobody to the world, but Jesus said, there are no nobodies. You're a somebody in God's eyes. Augustine, reading the scriptures, got it. He said, God loves each of us as if there were only one of us. Friends, it's a very biblical concept, but it's not a very human concept. It's not a very logical concept because in the world, it's might makes right. And if I'm in the upper crust, I can oppress other people. That's humanity. But that's not how God says it's supposed to be. That people on their own don't come to this idea that all people are equal. The scripture we're teaching, but Augustine understood it. And this idea has become for us in the West, our very foundation of our beliefs as Americans in our culture. What's our constitution say? We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. 
that they are endowed with, by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We might not understand that today. Our founding fathers might not have understood that had it not been for Augustine helping us to understand what the scriptures were trying to tell us. So to me, that's one of the reasons that Augustine stands as a pillar of God. Right? Let's look at number two in a second. Quote number two. This is for sure probably his most famous quote, um, that if people said, what's Augustine known for saying? This is probably his most famous quote. Um, It says, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Thou hast created us, I'll read off there, it's the same wording. Thou hast created us for thyself, and our hearts are not quiet until they rest in thee. Look at what he helps us to understand. First, that God created mankind for himself. That we are not an accident. Not one of you. Not one of you is an accident. All of you are an on-purpose result of the activity of God. That God, no person's an accident. That we are not the result of some biological mutation that caused people to somehow evolve. That we are created for himself. Now we were created by God to be in relationship with God. Augustine got that. Think of Abraham, of Adam rather, rather in the garden with God. God had just created him and they were in relationship. Adam's out there under the leadership of God, under the relationship of God, naming all the animals. Getting to see the beauty of all creation that God had created for mankind. So Augustine says, God created you for himself. And then, and if you, you as one created by God, will never be satisfied. You'll never be fulfilled until you find rest, until you find fulfillment, until you find quiet in here, in him. And here's one of the things that our culture needs to remember from Augustine, that true contentment is only found in Jesus. One can accumulate mountains of money and positions of power and influence and be totally empty inside. I think if Augustine learned, I think that Augustine learned this on his, through his own life. As he grew and developed, he became an influential man. He became a, a scholar that was, that, was under, that was sought after. He infected emperors. He was a, a well-known, esteemed teacher, beloved and respected. But he didn't know Jesus. For much of his life, he didn't know Jesus. But you know what Augustine had? Take heart here, mom and dad. You know what Augustine had? He had a praying mama. He had a praying mother who wouldn't let him go. Here's the the respected Augustine whose mom kept chasing him around wherever he moved to saying, Augustine, you need Jesus. She was a Christian. You need Jesus. He was not. He fought Christianity. You, You need Jesus. No, I don't. But mama wouldn't let 
go. She continually urged him to think about Jesus, to use that brain of his, to, to, to study Jesus, to use that brain of his and that soul of his to contemplate Jesus. And at 32 years of age, Augustine was converted to Christianity. He didn't come to Jesus. He, he was, Mama was a Christian. He did not serve Jesus all those first three decades of his life. And at 32... He was converted to Christianity. And that's when the restlessness in his heart found peace. So when he wrote that, he was speaking from his experience. And friends, it kind of reminds me of what David wrote in Psalm 131. Matter of fact, I'm wondering if he thought about this when he wrote it. He says, surely I have composed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child rests against his mother, my soul is like a weaned child within me. David was talking about this contentment that we can find in Christ. We can find in God. And that's what Augustine's saying. There's no other way to find it. He had it all. There's no other way. So David and Augustine discovered that internal contentment only comes by our hearts being united with the heart of God. And I really believe this. If Augustine were alive in America today, I think it's the main sermon that he would preach. I think to our culture, he would preach this sermon. If we invited him to preach tomorrow, he'd say, let me, let me read my text for you. And he'd go to Psalm 131. And he'd talk about having a quieted soul and what can give you a quieted soul and what can't give you a quieted soul. And I think that would be a message that he would teach to us today. So it's affecting us today. So because of that, Augustine is a pillar of our church, a pillar of what we understand. Let's look at number three. Now hang on to your pants for this one. Don't get mad. Because he didn't just say nice little things. He also said some things that might, we might not like. He says this. If you believe what you like in the Gospels and reject what you don't like, it's not the Gospel you believe, but yourself. See what he says? If you believe what you like in the Gospels and reject what you don't like, it's not the Gospels you believe, but it's yourself. You could say it's yourself that you believe. It's yourself that you trust. He's talking about authority here. Who, what is really in charge? Who, what is really the authority in my life? He says you can trust in God and the Gospels or you can trust in yourself. He says you have to make a choice. Friends, this isn't an unusual thought. This is what Thomas Jefferson, the third president in America, wrestled with and he made a choice. He said, I'd rather trust in myself than in the Gospels. He literally, actually, took his scissors and a razor blade and cut out all the miracles in the Gospels, including the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he literally cut and pasted his own Bible. It was a leather, red leather Bible. He created his Bible. He created his own Bible that focused on Jesus as a man of morals, a teacher whose truths were expressed without the help of miracles or the supernatural powers of God. Because that's the way he thought it should be. What he was showing is he didn't believe the word of God. 
He believed in himself as the highest authority to determine what he wanted the word of God to be. And what Augustine is saying is, you have that choice. But he'd say this, it's the wrong choice. And I think Augustine may be thinking about Jesus' conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount. I don't know this. In his writings, it doesn't say this, but I think there's probably a tie here. He's thinking of Jesus' conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus said that if we follow Jesus' teachings, it's like building on the solid rock. But if we reject Jesus' teachings, it's like building on sand. And Augustine warns us not to place our, our authority over God's by choosing what we choose to build our house on, that if we pick and choose what we want out of the word of God, then we are making ourselves out to be an authority higher than God. And as Jesus says in the end of the Sermon on the Mount, our house will come tumbling down in the storms of life because we've built on the sand of our own authority and intellect. And Augustine is saying, don't do that. So what do I do? You choose to not believe, to practice God's word when you do that. You know? And we think about this. You think about this. What in your life do you explain away? What in our lives do we choose to not believe? Well, I believe most of it, but you know, that part I just choose to ignore from the scriptures. And he's talking about in particular the gospels here. What do I choose to ignore? What do I choose to not practice from the word of God? That's what he's getting at. He's saying, you don't have to be like, you don't have to be like Jefferson and take a Bible and uh, take a scissors and cut the parts out. But we can just ignore them or skip over them. We can just say, yeah, that's not for today. No, God's word is eternal. It's for today. Augustine warns us. So he's saying, he's saying, be careful. He says, it's dangerous to think we know more than the word of God has to reveal to us. So we need a high view of the word of God. Make sense of why that's a pillar? One more pillar. I could have spent, I could have spent, I could spend all day just going over pillars. You know one that, the second most famous, we're not going to talk about it, but I wanted to, but I changed my mind, I'll explain why in a second. His probably second most famous quote is, Lord, Make me chase, but not today. And he wrote that as an ancient, like 80-year-old man, 70-year-old man, something like that. And here's the deal. He believed, and this is where I would disagree with Augustine, and I think because he was influenced very much by his understanding of culture and not by scripture in this, and this is what kind of what historians would believe, he really had an odd view of sexuality. And so he believed to really serve God, you had to be celibate. So it's funny, so he's committed himself to celibacy, but he still got his concubine pregnant. You know, he was never married, but he had, had a child from a lady who he lived with from the lower class. Um, and he was engaged to be married, and he left that lady. And he always wrestled with his celibacy. He always wrestled with it. So he writes in his confessions, a wonderful thing about confessions, like the Bible, I'm not trying to compare him, but he's honest. He was a steam scholar, but he was honest. And he's like basically saying this, I want to be celibate, but I don't want to be celibate. And one of his most famous things is, Lord, make me chase, but not yet. Saying I want to be there, but I really don't want to be there yet. So he's honest with himself. So that's reminding me of one of his very famous sayings. And I was going to spend some time on that one, but I was I was at prayer last not last Wednesday, Wednesday before, 
And I was talking with somebody when we were done praying about the mixed up world that we're living in right now. And about how quickly culture seems to be shifting and changing. We're actually, it seems like we're living out that what is good is called bad and what is bad is, is honestly called good by the world. And in that conversation with this person, I remembered a quote from Augustine. And I said to the person I was talking to, oh, I'm changing my sermon because of you. And I'm going to talk about this quote next. I think it's, it's important for our times. And this is the fourth quote. If we live good lives, then the times are also good. As we are, such are the times. If we live good lives, the times are also good, meaning the times we live in. As we are, such are the times. And I think there are really two important applications for us in this, in the time that we're living in. The first, and I believe Augustine, would, his life proved this, and I believe theologically agrees with this, saying this, we can make a difference in the world around us. As we are, such are the times. As we are, it affects the times. We affect our times. We are friends. We are filled with the Spirit of God. And God has given us his commission to be salt and light in the world. And that commission is still true no matter what craziness is going on. And that is still as powerful as the day that Jesus spoke it. Our presence makes a difference in the world like salt on your popcorn and light in the darkness. As we take the gospel to who do not yet know Jesus, we change the world for the better one person at a time. Our Christian mission works. Our lives have been changed and others will be changed through us if we choose to shine for Jesus. So Augustine, I think, would say this, have hope that all is not lost. We can and do make a difference in this world and Augustine would say, listen, church, believe it. It's true. It's God's promise to you. Now I think also Augustine had another thing in mind when he wrote this. He says, yes, evil times exist. They did then and they do now. But you can be happy in Jesus in the midst of a world gone mad. Friends, you need to understand this. You can be happy in Jesus in the midst of a crazy world that's gone Mad. Augustine said, if we live good lives, the times are also good. Why? Because of Christ in us. Because he is our joy, and he is our hope, and he is our peace, and he is our love. Then we can live good lives no matter what is happening around us. And when I was reading this, I was reminded what was written in the book of Hebrews. Grab your Bibles and open up to the book of Hebrews. And maybe Augustine was thinking of this when he wrote this. He probably was just looking at his own life and experience. Hebrews chapter 10. When the author of Hebrews was writing to the persecuted church. Hebrews chapter 10. Starting in verse 32. But remember the former days. When after being enlightened, so after being saved or born again... You endured a great conflict of suffering. So, hey, you got saved, and now you're suffering because you come to Jesus. Uh, kind of blows in the face of the name it came with faith gospel, right? You got saved, and everything's messed up now. The world's against you. Verse 33. You, you're suffering. Why? Partly 
by being made a public spectacle. People are, are through reproaches, it says, and tribulations. So people are against you now. And partly by being sharers with those who are being so treated. So you're affiliating with those who are being mistreated because of Christ. Verse 34. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizures of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Look at what it says here. I think the most amazing thing in the whole couple of verses we read is this. Writing to the persecuted church who gave their lives to Christ. says they've been converted to Christianity. They're suffering because of it. And look what happened in their lives. They accepted joyfully the seizure of their property. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine what's really going on? He's writing to real life people. He says, you guys are being filled with joy while somebody is stealing your home because you're a Christian. Somebody's taking your property or taking your house or taking your land because you're a Christian. You're suffering. They're against you. But what's it say? But you are joyful. How? 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 How is that possible? We look and say, how could it be possible? Somebody calls us a name as a Christian and we boo-hoo. They're taking their houses and they're joyful. How? You give the answer. Knowing that you have for yourself a better possession and a lasting that in Christ we have something that's eternal. We live in the unshakable kingdom of God and we're in it today and we're going to be in it for eternity, forever and ever and ever and ever and ever again. That's how. Because they were saved, because they were children of God, to their followers of Jesus, they had something more important, more fulfilling than anything this world could ever offer. They have the promise, we have the promise of eternal life in Christ, and that can't be taken away from us. They can take your house, they can take your property because you're Christian, but they can't take away Jesus. This time can be good, no matter how bad it is. Because we know Jesus. Amen? That's the Christian message. How often do we let what's going on around us rob us of our joy? Augustine wanted others to understand if we live good lives, that when he'd say this, good lives are living lives with Jesus, then the times are also good. As we are, so are the times. And see, so look at us and you'd say, the times today are good. That today is good because God is good to each of us who know Him and walk with Him and we can live good lives regardless of what else is going on around us. So church, have hope. Rejoice. You are in Christ, secure in His kingdom if you know Jesus. And if you don't yet know Jesus, you can know Him today. And you can enter that same thing in the same relationship so that no else, matter what else happens, you can have the joy of Jesus and the world can do anything. And I hope that we don't go through a lot of difficulty. But if you do, Jesus is your joy. Because he's, he's real and he's in us and his spirit dwells within us and his relationship with him is eternal. Augustine understood that because of that. Because he helps us to understand that he's a pillar of the church. Amen? Would you pray with me this morning? Lord Jesus, 
Here's my hope today. That you would help us to see your widespread mercy all around us. That you would help us, Lord, to see how good you are. You would help us to joyfully live in your goodness because of who you are and what you've done for us and what you do for us every single day, what you gift you've given us today, that no matter what, and Lord, we're not living in chaos around us, but we were able to come in from whatever world offers us and come into this place today and be loved by you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Help us to live in that reality. Open up our minds, God, to the truth. Open up our minds to the the gift of living joyfully in you, regardless of the times. To not allow something temporal to rob us of something better and eternal. That you've given us an example from Scripture of, of Christian people who, because they came to you, suffered hardship, but they were joyful even when their stuff was taken away. Why? Because they had something better than stuff. And Lord, I'd ask this for our church family, for me today. If we've been living in a way that we've just been adding you on top of a whole world system, that really what we're living for is all the stuff of the world. We're living for the stuff of the world, the pleasures of the world, the activities of the world, the accolades of the world. And that's been giving us our happiness. And you're just kind of out there somewhere and we say, hey, hey Jesus, nice to see you on Sunday. Help us to see how how that's not the way you want it. You have something better for us. When we really live deep in your presence, we know you. We've been changed by you. We've been transformed by you. We used to live in darkness and now we live in light. We see the world differently. For everyone, no matter how long they've been in church, God, maybe today is a day that you're calling us to say, Abandon the rest. All of us have to come to that place, Jesus. Abandon it. Forget about it. It's not important that all that matters is life in Christ. You let us still live a good life, but that doesn't matter. That's secondary. Life in you is all that matters. So show us that in our hearts today. And today, Lord, let us make commitments that say, I want you in the center of my world. I want want to live my life in a way that reflects your goodness. Not saying I want to cut and paste the Bible. I want to live out what you've explained to me in your word and by your spirit. We want to be all in. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, Maybe as you've been listening to the words of Augustine today, you recognize a couple things. Either number one, you've just been playing church and you want to go all in. Or you recognize that you've never really come to Jesus to have your life transformed by Him. You've never asked Jesus to have your sins forgiven and welcome you into His eternal family. You've never done that. There's this reality welling up in your soul right now. You're saying, I need Jesus. I need him. 
that's you today, you can say yes to Jesus. In the depths of your soul right now, you can say, Jesus, come into my life. I'm lost without you. I need to find you. I've been wandering. And this Sunday morning, I welcome you into my life. Wash away all the junk. Make me brand new. And on this day, Jesus, I want to be your follower. Help me to know you. Help me to come to understand you through your word. Help me to be free from my past and live in the new life that you offer. Make it real in me today. So Jesus, today, I want to be counted as one of your followers. And I'm going to walk with you now and forever. Thank you, Jesus. God, as people have done that today, whether online or in this room, I ask you, Holy Spirit, to make this something so much more than words today. Holy Spirit, bring the reality of your presence right now into the heart of every person that has prayed. Everyone that's saying, I need you. Begin to fill them with the reality of your presence. Let them feel your love. Overwhelm them with your goodness. Jesus, you're not calling them to a church, although you use the church and the church is your idea. You're not calling them to a pastor, although you have pastors for your purposes. You're calling them to yourself. So let them know you in a rich, a powerful, and a life-changing way today. All for your glory. Let, for, let whatever things are holding people back in their pasts, all the unforgiveness, all the hurt, all the issues today, let them surrender them to you and find freedom and joy and new life in you right now in this moment. Thank you, Holy Spirit you're touching our souls right now. So Jesus, we thank you for the gift of your word, for the pillars that have gone before us that have helped us to understand you and your word more fully. We ask you, Lord Jesus, today give us all we need to know you and walk with you all the fullness and the joy that you intend for your children. Let your blessings now rest upon each one in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you, friends.
when we stand together. I hope you can just feel the, the loving kindness of the Lord in this moment. If you need prayer this morning, you want to spend some time in prayer, just come and spend some time at the altars. If you need prayer, I'll be here for a few minutes to pray and then I'll join those of you for the, the fix-it meeting in room 10. Let me end with this great blessing from the Scriptures. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you, friends. Walk in the fullness of Jesus today. You are loved. Go share the light of Jesus in a dark world.